Good afternoon. Welcome back to Vox Pop, WAMC's live afternoon call-in talk show. I'm Sarah LaDuke in for Ray Graff this afternoon. It is Monday, making it a medical Monday. In the studio this afternoon with me is Dr. Akash Garg, a cardiologist with Cardiology Associates of Schenectady, a practice of St. Peter's Health Partners Medical Associates. Dr. Garg is a board certified is board certified in cardiology and interventional cardiology and specializes in structural heart diseases. We're talking valves, everybody. Get your valve questions ready. He completed his residency and fellowship at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City and Brown University in Providence. To participate in today's discussion, call 800 348 The phone number for the first or second, but definitely not last time of the hour, is 1-800-348-2551. You can also email your questions to voxpop at wamc.org. Before I officially welcome and introduce you to Dr. Garg, I do want to mention, of course, that the locked box is open. We are hoping to reach our fundraising goal before the fund drive can even begin next Tuesday, and you can pledge anytime online at wamc.org. Dr. Garg, welcome to the studio. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks, Al. It's, it's, it feels great to be here. And thank you for host. Thank of, you for having me here. Of course. It's our pleasure. Before we go to the calls, which are the lines are lighting up, so we'll have lots of questions from listeners for you. How did you decide to make cardiology your specialty? What about the heart gotcha? Yeah, no, I think before I entered into medical school, I wanted to be an engineer. And there was some influence from family who... Uh, persuaded me to go into medicine and I, I feel lucky to be here I you know um, I feel honored to what I and grateful uh, to be doing what I do and you know having a strong interest in physi- uh, physics uh, got me into cardiology because it shares a lot of same principles and I feel like it's one of the only branches of medicine in general uh, which involves a lot of physics so here I am uh, you know being a cardiologist tell me tell me more about what you mean by that, how, how physics applies to the cardiology specialty. And so it's all about the principles of flow through the body and, you know, f- principles of flow and resistance. You know, and we, as we know in the heart, there are valves, there are arteries uh, which supply blood to the heart muscle. So there's a lot of principle of physics involved, you know, like Bernoulli's equation, for example, is the most common uh, principle we use in echocardiography every day uh, to study heart valves and to study uh, heart function. Um, so that's where my interest begin. It's fascinating. I can't wait to learn more as we take questions from listeners. Are you ready to go to the phones? Yeah, for sure. All right. The phone number 800-348-2551. And we will begin with Jim in North Adams. Hello, Jim. Hello. Let me take you off a little speaker here. Please do. Um, are you gone completely? Oh, you are. If you call back, we will get you right back on. That's what happens when I try to take people on or off speakerphone, too. The phone number is 800-348-2551, 1-800-34-TALK-1, or, WA, or you can email voxpop at wamc.org. I wonder, I don't think I can take him straight to air because he's calling back. Okay, so I'll wait for that. Voxpop at wamc.org is the email address, or you can call us at 800-348-2551. Let's go to Joan in Schenectady. Hello, Joan. Hello there. Hello, Sarah, and uh, good to meet you, doctor. I have a quick question. Hi. I'm just looking for some very casual advice. 
been keeping an eye on the blood pressure, well controlled with a medicine, keeping an eye on, you know, the family cholesterol um, numbers. But I don't seem to be very good. Um, many of the medicines we've tried, my, my system does not tolerate well. So currently doing good. Other than, you know, a little bit of the ratio of cholesterol being off. I just got a brand new, I'm going to try to say this word, sphygmomometer, a blood pressure cuff, the old-fashioned kind. Um, So, so far so good. But what else can I do? Should I try to uh, do some light exercise and take it right away? You know, just guidelines of how to use my new device to its maximum benefit. Yeah, John, great question. So, you know, the um, congratulations on getting this machine because it definitely helps to monitor the blood pressure at home. Uh, you know, usually it's a good idea to check it after about an hour of waking after you wake up, you know, because then your body's relaxed and you're not, you know, uh, you're not still, you know, dealing with the morning uh, cortisol surge, which in- can increase your blood pressure temporarily. So after have you have your morning medications, you know, have a seat, you know, relax for five minutes and it's usually a good idea to check uh, blood pressure in usually both arms. You know, you can start with measuring in one arm on a few days, you know, and that could be the right arm. And I would say, you know, certain days of the week, check in left arm because a usual variance of about 10 millimeters mercury is normal. But if you start, you know, see, start seeing uh, more dramatic variation in the blood pressure between the two arms that, you know, maybe... Uh, a cause for a call to your uh, primary care doctor or a cardiologist, you know, to sort of bring that and to deal uh-huh. with that. But usually, yeah, if you check, you know, an hour after you wake up, you know, be in a relaxed position, and that's always a good idea. Does that help you, Joan? Okay, thank you. I very much did, especially about the uh, the uh, arm uh, difference in the arms. And what was that gradation between the left and the, the right so, readings? So, so anything around 10 millimeters mercury or 10 points in blood pressure can be normal. But if you start to see more than that, Very then good. that would be, a, you know, uh, you should bring that uh, to attention to your doctor. How perfect. Okay, thank you. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. Thanks for calling. Have a wonderful day. Let us go now to... Jim in North Adams, did you figure out your speakerphone, sir? Yes, I. Uh, I that was that was my fault on my. Uh, of course, just on my end, I'm not going to touch my phone. Can you hear me all right? Yes, we can. Great. Yes. Well, my question for the doctor was: uh, I recently had a uh, had to go into the ER. I had uh, a vomiting uh, spell, and they did a uh, EKG on me. And um, one thing that came up was something called low, long QT syndrome. And um, I have no idea what that is. They, there's a brief um, in my discharge paper, there's a brief couple of sentences about it. But could you tell me more about long QT syndrome? And, uh, and my, I'm 66 years old. I'm uh, overweight, not terribly overweight but uh other than that my heart is i just saw my primary care physician did not bring this up unfortunately in that visit um but uh, things to watch out for uh i just i'd like to know more about the syndrome please yeah hi jim uh thanks for bringing that question up so 
you know, long QT syndrome essentially means that there's some electrical delay in the conduction through the heart. So, you know, as you may have, you know, heard this, that there's a natural pacemaker, we're all born in the heart, and then there are electrical wires which come out of that pacemaker, and they spread through the heart muscle. So long QT means that there's slight conduction delay in one of those wires or channels which make electricity in the heart. And, you know, it could be related to, if you're 66, it could be related transiently to some medications. Now, if you don't have any history of passing out in the past or recurrent episodes of, you know, feeling lightheaded or dizzy, then it's it's possibly a benign condition, but definitely that's something that needs to be followed up in an office with a repeat EKG. So if you were vomiting, you know, there could be changes in sodium or potassium in your body, and that could have led this transiently to a long QT syndrome. doesn't mean that it's a permanent, but definitely something, you know, you should have a repeat EKG in a primary care office or a cardiology yeah. office to make sure it has normalized. About how, about how frequently should that be done? I would say so if you, you know, after being released from the ER, I would check it in within a month, you know, just to make sure that long okay. QT has normalized. And if it hasn't normalized, then probably another uh, investigation is needed, which would be an echocardiogram of okay. your heart to make sure the heart function is normal. Correct. I do have and have, have long had a low sodium count um, and low chloride count. Uh, that's just the way my blood is. I don't, I don't like to add salt to my food, and most uh, American foods are, have so much added. Um, I really don't like the taste of salt, so <laughs> it's hard for me to uh, to augment that. But uh, you, you mentioned the sodium, so could that could that contribute? If it was too low, yes, it could contribute, and the potassium yeah. too. So you know, I think as you were, since you mentioned you were vomiting, there were probably more dramatic uh, alterations in these levels in your blood, so which were probably temporary. Uh -huh. So hopefully, it will be normalized when you get seen in the office and get a repeat EKG. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, doctor. Of course. Thank you, Jim. He needs to salt up some bananas and then he'll be fine. <laughs> um, Dr. Akash Garg is our guest today. It is time for our first break of the show. The phone number to call 800-348-2551. The website to contribute to the lockbox is wamc.org. More on your heart after this. Welcome back to Vox Pop. I'm Sarah LaDuke in for Ray Graff this afternoon. The phone number 800-348-2551. And what are you going to do with that phone number? You're going to call Medical Monday and you're going to speak with Dr. Akash Garg, a cardiologist who is with us this afternoon. You can also email voxpop at wamc.org. We have a lot of people on the line, so let's go right back to the phones. Okay, doctor? Yeah. All righty. Let's go to Emily in Albany. Hello, Emily. Hi. Um, I am scheduled for a cardiac PET scan and an echocardiogram, and I'm wondering, is the PET scan like a nuclear stress test? Hi, Emily. Yeah, thanks for the question. So PET scan can, you know, there are different reasons for which a PET scan might have been ordered. So if it, is, if it has been ordered as, as a stress test, just think of it as, as a nuclear stress test. So PET scan is actually has been shown in few studies to be more sensitive and a better test than the regular nuclear stress test. Um, so again, yeah, if it's if it's ordered to rule out blockages or if it is ordered as a stress test, then, you know, it's definitely um, a better way to go. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time hearing you, doctor. I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. 
Okay, so I was just I, I was just mentioning. So, do you know if the PET scan has been ordered as a stress test to rule out blockages? Yes, that's what okay. I. I don't have any symptoms, but the doctor said it was a good baseline. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So, and you know, I'd had a, a stress. Sorry. No, go ahead, please. The um, I had had a stress test probably six or seven years ago, and he thought it was a good idea to try it again. But this is this was different. The first one was on a treadmill running. Yep. Yeah. So the pet. And this is in some kind of a machine that looks like an MRI. Yeah. Uh, so the PET scan is like a nuclear stress test, but the medication or the chemical used is different, you know, and it is a much better stress test to, um, and it's more conclusive in ruling out blockages. It's more conclusive, you yep. say? Yes. And what about the echocardiogram following that? And the echocardiogram would be to rule out or to look at the structure of the heart, right? So the stress test cannot show us how the valves look, how the how strong the heart muscle is, and that will that uh-huh. that will that will be seen with the echocardiogram. It's it says in the instructions that there will be medication administered through an IV that simulates exercise. That will be the PET scan. Yes. So the, it's it's a way yeah. of it's a way of stressing your heart with the medication instead of exercising. And that that increases the accuracy of the stress test. So does the patient then feel out of breath or fatigue or? No, not really. Yeah, because you, no, you're not. Re- no, not really, because you're not exercising. So all you will feel is a little bit of chest tightness in your chest, which you know, which lasts for a few seconds, and uh, then it uh. goes away. And 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 you know, after you calm down, they will take uh, pictures in the in the ca- with the camera. Yeah. And it's not inside the the tube like an MRI. No, not really. No. So this is not a closed machine. Typically, it's it's open, and you will only be there for a few minutes. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. You've alleviated some of my fears. <laughs> now, of course, I'm glad. I, I think you no, know, it, it's definitely a good idea to get that stress test. Good luck, Emily. Thank okay. you for calling. Thank you. Of course. Have a wonderful day. One eight hundred three four eight two five five one. One eight hundred three four eight two five five one. Let's go to Maria in Kerhonkson. Hello, Maria. Hi. How are you? The only thing is, I'm having a little bit of trouble also hearing the doctor. But I have a question. Well, I have controlled uh, high blood pressure, but my HDL was a reading number of one thirty six. What What's your opinion on that, doctor? So, just so I understand correctly, uh, Maria, uh, your HDL was 136? Yes. Okay. So, you know, HDL is a marker of coronary disease or, in other words, blockages in the blood vessels of the heart. So, HDL is a positive marker in the sense that if you have high HDL, it's usually a good sign or a good prognosis. See, you know, it's more genetic and, you know, in layman terms, think of it as you were just born with good genes. So, actually, your lifelong risk of developing blockages in the blood vessels of the heart is lower or developing heart disease is lower than general population. So, you know, having a high HDL is, is a good sign. Even if it's 136, doctor? 
Yeah, and and that you know, I've again, it's you know, it's it's just a marker. So we don't target it. We don't try to lower it. We don't try to make it higher because those studies have failed. But it you know, studies have shown that if you if you have a high HDL, then your risk of developing blockages is less. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. You win. <laughs> <laughs> you That's win, tough. Maria. Have a great day. Thank you for calling. What is the like normal range for HDL? It's about fifty to seventy. Okay, so one thirty six is one thirty six is definitely higher. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> uh, but if you're born with you know lower numbers, then uh, there are certain medications you can use to try to bring it higher. But those studies haven't really shown a good benefit. So we now think it's more of a marker of your you know lifelong risk of developing coronary atherosclerosis or heart disease rather than targeting it with a medication, which doesn't really work. Okay. Let us go now to Carol in Loudonville. Hello, Carol. Hi, Carol. Carol. Did you say Carolyn? I said Carol, but I can say Carolyn (laughs) if that's correct. Well, Carolyn is from Loudonville. That's you. (laughs) That's you. (laughs) Okay. All right. I couldn't quite hear you, so I was not clear. Uh, I am soon to be 85. I have AFib, and my primary care recommended something that I thought was called Watchman, which is uh, running a a scope in from the groin to the heart to snip off something that is most apt to cause stroke. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hi, Caroline. Yes. So, uh, as I understand, your primary care physician recommended a watchman procedure, right? Yes. And you were recently diagnosed with AFib? No, I've had it for quite a while. Okay. So, you know, watchman procedure is a minimally invasive procedure, which is done from the groin. So, you're asleep. You know, we go from the groin and put a device, which is the size of a quarter, in your heart. And how, you know, if you can imagine, it looks like a basket and it plugs the pouch in the heart where the blood clots are most likely to form. So essentially, you know, it's an alternative to a blood to being on a blood thinner, you know, and typically after two months, you know, typically two months after the procedure, we can get you off the blood thinner. So it's recommended for patients who have either had bleeding issues or are unable to tolerate the blood thinners you might be on for, um, you know, due to either, you know, easy bruising, you know, uh, even recurrent nosebleed is one of the reasons sometimes because it gets hard to control. So those are the, some of the reasons you you might uh, consider a watchman device, and it's a good alternative to being on a blood thinner. It does not sound like a trivial operation to me, but you seem to describe it as such. It, you know, it's it's typically, so I do one of you, I, I do watchman procedure, and, you know, obviously it all depends on, you know, how fit you are, how active you are, and it's always a risk-benefit, right? So if you haven't had any issues with being a blood thinner, you know, watchman is not needed. So if you can tolerate the blood thinners okay without any trouble, you don't need a watchman. But on the other hand, um, if you have trouble taking the blood thinners or, you know, you have bled in the past, then watchman is a good solution. And the procedure typically lasts about 30 minutes. So it's a fairly quick procedure, and you might be able to go home the same day or the next morning. I have a question about Eliquis. I seem to have a lot of itching in my head. Okay. And I sweat terribly in my head. Would that be related to Eliquis? Very unlikely, not that I've heard of. 
you know, usually the side effect is just bleeding, you know, but uh, obviously, oh. you know, every patient is different. So you might want to consider a different blood thinner like uh, Rivaroxaban or Xeralto instead of Eliquis um, and see if those side effects resolve. Okay. All right. Thank very you. good. Thank you very much. Of course. Certainly. Thank you for your call. 1-800-348-2551, 1-800-348-2551. We're in studio with Dr. Akash Garg, and we go now to, mm-hmm, press the correct button, me, Paul in Stone Ridge. Hello, Paul. Hello there. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I had a question about rapid heart rate a couple of years ago um, after fairly moderate exercise. Um, I was a over 120 uh, a few hours afterwards. Um, hasn't happened since, but the one the one difference is it was five days after having a COVID booster. I was wondering if the doctor was aware of any uh, connections between cardiac problems and the uh, COVID and the COVID boosters. Hi, Paul. Thanks for the question. So, uh, uh, just remind, uh, just say that again. How long ago was the COVID booster? About two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. So you know, and were you, did you get sick at all from that? No, I didn't get sick. It was just that one episode, um, and my heart rate stayed a little on the high side for a few weeks. Yeah. So you know, there's there is uh, there's very little side effect to the COVID vaccine, and uh, one of that is a transient cardiac inflammation. You know, the chance of that in studies is less than zero, uh, less than 0.1%. So it's extremely rare. And what you're describing is a transient or brief episode of fast heart rate. Would It right. w- won't, won't be a manifestation. So I think it's pretty benign what you had. Oh. You know, it's possible, okay. you know, you would, you know, just maybe a little drained out or um, yeah. you know, fatigued oh, yeah. that day. But... Um, yeah, typically if you haven't, you know, if you didn't have shortness of breath, if you didn't have chest pain, uh, there's not much cause of concern. And the risk, you know, as I said, the risk of any cardiac effects with the COVID booster shot is extremely, extremely low. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like about 1 in 10,000. Yep. What about, okay, what about people that have slight abnormalities and the uh, conductivity paths? Yeah, so again, it you know, if you develop uh, cardiac inflammation, those conduction abnormalities can become more pronounced during that period uh, because, you know, your cardiac muscle is inflamed and it can affect in turn the uh, okay. conduction system of the heart. Uh, you know, but mm-hmm. not the COVID vaccine itself or even the COVID itself hasn't been shown to have an, a direct effect on our conduction system. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. Um, another quick question, if I may, yes, general one. Yes, of course. Uh, what's your yeah? What's your opinion of oxygen in the pre-hospital care settings? It used to be used to put them on uh, high flow. Nowadays, they're going towards the other side. And uh, I'll listen offline. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know. Yeah. You're okay. Go ahead. Oh yeah. So, so he just was going to hang up. So oh, okay. that's all right. Yeah. So you know, it's um. There have been actually a lot of studies on this topic recently, and, you know, as you brought it up, uh, any patients with MI or a heart attack, you know, the standard of care was to put them on high-flow oxygen and maintain the oxygen level 100%. But 
but that has been refuted in f- recent studies. So actually, we think that it causes more, you know, these superoxide chemicals in the blood and leads to more cardiac damage. So we don't typically put patients on high flow oxygen if they don't need it now. All right, great. One eight hundred three four eight two five five one. One eight hundred three four eight two five five one. We have an email in the inbox. Voxpop at wamc.org. Paul asks, could you please comment on the long-term effects on the cardiovascular system of a diet heavy in added sugars? Thanks. Yeah, so this is, um, you know, so added sugar uh, does lead to more coronary atherosclerosis or in in terms, you know, in simple language, more coronary plaque, you know, in the body. And that can in, in turn lead to, you know, Inflammation it can lead to a heart attack. It can also uh, lead to heart failure or stroke. So you know, added sugars uh, or any any refined sugars or uh, processed uh, oil. You know, all this is obviously we, we should we should be limiting this. Uh, so the main side effect is is inflammation, and that can lead to more plaque uh, build up in the body, uh, which can lead to obviously heart attacks or stroke. Another email from Sherry who says. Ever since I had COVID in January of 2021, I experience a heavy thudding heartbeat after I eat my supper. This increased heartbeat often lasts into the night, and I am very aware of it when I'm trying to sleep. Is it, oh, sorry, it is normal again when I wake up in the morning. Should I be concerned about this? Um, I think you should have a heart monitor uh, by a cardiologist, and typically these uh, these heart monitors can monitor you for two to four weeks. Uh, it's a very small device, which is just uh, pasted, you know, on the chest and uh, continuously monitors your heartbeat. And the reason to do that would be to rule out an arrhythmia. So it's possible your heart starts beating very fast for a few seconds uh, due to an electrical abnormality in the heart. And there are medications to treat this. So, you know, that's what I would recommend a heart monitor for two to four weeks. Paul in Malta writes in Voxpop at WAMC.org and says, I am 69 years old and have an enlarged aortic root, 42 millimeters, I have been a runner and trained consistently for about 42 years. I ran across an article in the Harvard Gazette from 2018 that describes this condition that was caused by years of exercise. They speculated that it was a positive adaptation of the exercise and different from aneurysm caused by unhealthy lifestyle. Any thoughts? Yeah, so, you know, very vigorous activity all your life can theoretically lead to enlargement of the aortic root because you need more cardiac output, right? So if you think about it, there's more demand of the body, so your heart starts pumping out more blood every minute, and that can lead to the tube getting slightly enlarged. Uh, you could also be born with a slightly enlarged tube, and which is called you know, an uh, aortic aneurysm, uh, especially if there's family history. Some of these aneurysms or slight dilatation of the aortic root are you know, in fact related to an abnormal aortic valve. So it's a good idea if you haven't had so far, but to get an echocardiogram and to make sure that you were born with an aortic valve. For example, a two-door valve, which is called a bicuspid aortic valve, can be associated with uh, aneurysm or enlargement of the aortic root. Um, so it's a good idea to rule that out. Otherwise, you know, uh, if that's not the case, then a CAT scan or a uh, imaging study to just monitor the size of the aortic uh, aorta every couple, every two to three years. Uh, is a good idea, and that's the recommendation. 
voxpop at wamc.org is the email address. The phone number is 1-800-348-2551. We are in studio with Dr. Akash Garg, a cardiologist with the Cardiology Associates of Schenectady, a practice of St. Peter's Health Partners Medical Associates. We are going to take our final break of the program and be back momentarily. Take it away, Zach. Welcome back to Vox Pop, WAMC's live afternoon call-in talk show. I'm Sarah LaDuke in for Ray Graf, in studio with Dr. Akash Garg, making his debut voyage on Vox Pop. How's it going? Very good so far. Yes, Thanks for I having think, me again. Of course. I think you're doing fantastic. Let's go to Nico in Kerhongson. Hello, Nico. Yes, hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm hi, all right. Um, how are you? Yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I've been uh, listening to the program. It's uh, it's great. Very informative. Um, my my question is, uh, I'm I'm 54 years old. I'm in relatively good health. 6'2", 181 pounds. Um, I've been an athlete most of my life, although not very much the last several years. But w- what's been happening recently is I, I just started to notice maybe about a month ago that, um, and this has never happened before, I would wake up in the middle of the night with my um, arm and hand asleep on the right side. Uh, and then more recently, I've been feeling that on both sides. And it doesn't really matter what position I'm in. Um, and it's been getting progressively more um, uh, more pronounced. So, But during the day, I'm fine. Uh, I don't have any other health issues personally. My mom has atrial fibrillation, but she's 88. She's had it for about 10 years. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what to make of that, but I thought maybe the doctor might be able to to uh, provide some answers. Hi, Nico. So any any symptoms during the day when you exercise or exert yourself? No, no shortness of breath. Uh, I feel I feel normal. I don't I don't notice anything anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, you, I, I you, occasionally you, have sort of a flutter to my heart, maybe once every three months or so. But I, I had a stress test similar to what the lady earlier on the program had uh, in terms of being hooked up and running on a, on a treadmill. And I came out fine. That was about a year ago. So, okay. Yeah, that's um, definitely reassuring. So I, I think from, you know, from what you're describing, obviously, you know, the, we haven't done, you know, it would be a good idea to do a physical exam, but it seems like more of a nerve issue or neurological issue. So typically, if you have cardiac disease and if that's causing numbness, usually it's on the left hand, left side, and typically it would be associated with chest heaviness or, you know, just diaphoresis or you would be sweaty, short of breath at the same time. But, in, you know, the symptoms right. you're describing in the middle of the night, just right hand goes numb, it's probably a nerve and nerve issue and it could be a cervical spine, you know, a nerve coming from there, which might be compressed in certain situ- um, postures. So I think good idea to get okay. physical exam by your primary care physician and then um, go from there, maybe a referral to a neurologist. But I think in terms of your cardiac cool. health, okay. that the fact that your stress test was normal a year ago, that's very reassuring. Uh, that's great. Now, I think I have one other quick question, which I think could help a lot of people who are listening, which is if you're interested in uh, starting maybe an exercise regimen, um, obviously you should consult with a doctor, but if you're just going to start doing something, do you think it's good to start with walking or running a short distance, or uh, should you do high-intensity stuff? Is there is there any... Now, usually, uh, I guess it depends on um, the person. Yeah, I think you obviously depends on how conditioned and how active you are. 
at to begin with, but usually a good idea to start with moderate intensity. So, you know, typically the recommendation is 15 to 20 minutes of aerobic exercise, right, which could be for some people just walking. For those others, it might be running or slow jogging and do it two to three times a week and then gradually increase it, you know, every five minutes by a week, right? So if you start with 15 minutes, okay, you can go up to 30 minutes, you know, up to three times a week. Is there some point at which the benefit you, you kind of get diminishing returns, or I mean, could you run for an hour and that's even better? No, I think the, I mean, in general, the more active you are and, you know, more, you know, more exercise, obviously you're not going to do several hours of exercise a day, but if you do an ex, uh, an exercise, you know, of an hour on, uh, on a daily basis, it increases your cardiovascular health. And, you know, our, actually our daily steps, the number of daily steps we do is directly related to cardiovascular health as was uh, shown in a recent study. So the more steps you do in a day, the better you are in terms of your cardiovascular health. All completed. <laughs> oh. Okay. Nico, thank you it's for good. your call. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Keep, keep up the good work, guys. You got it. A, a robot said something. Um, 1-800-348-2551. 1-800-348-2551. Let us go now to Diana in Newburgh. Hello, Diana. Hello, doctor. I really, really appreciate your being there and answering our questions. Thank you so much. Of course, it's a pleasure. Um, I have a question about uh, varicose veins. My family, we have a history of varicose veins, and I was wondering, does that affect blood pressure over time? And does ablation make it um, higher over time? Uh, hi, Diana. Yeah, so, you know, varicose veins wouldn't be directly related to blood pressure. Uh, you yeah. know, it's more of a symptom issue. And, you know, if you, you know, if someone has severe varicose veins to a point that they, you know, they become edematous and have a lot of leg swelling, that can lead to skin damage and infections in long term. But it's not directly related to uh, hyp- uh, hypertension. So, you know, Typically, ablations would be reserved for patients who fail conservative or non-surgical treatment. For example, if you have used compression stockings and they have failed to control your swelling, then ablation might be a good idea. And it's an outpatient procedure, which is fairly quick. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yes, I've had the procedure done twice. Okay, Okay. thank you. And one quick last question um, uh, about bicuspid. You mentioned that as uh, when you would talking about yeah. heart disorder. Is that familial? It, 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 it is typically, yeah. It's typically genetic or hereditary. So if somebody has okay. bicuspid aortic valve, uh, typically the recommendation is to for all the siblings uh, to get checked with an echocardiogram. Oh, okay. Okay, very good to know. Yes. Okay, thank you so much. And You're once welcome. again, thank you a million and God bless you for what Thanks. you do. Okay. Thanks for calling in, Diana. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. 800-348-2551 or voxpop at wamc.org. Claire emails in and says, How common are occlusions in the radial artery and severe bruising in the groin forearm from catheter insertion? It, the subject line says complication from stent insertion. Hi, uh, yeah. So, you know, the bruising is pretty common and typically it would last about a week, especially from the radial side. If, if, uh, if we do cardiac catheterization from the groin, the bruising can last up to two weeks. Uh, but, you know, I would say t- typically the, you know, chance of that happening is about 15 to 20 percent, but it's all, only superficial bruising. So if you 
feel a big lump in the groin or the wrist site, you know, that's definitely a cause of concern to, you know, get it checked or follow up with a cardiologist uh, who did the procedure to make sure there's no arterial damage at that site. Uh, but just superficial superficial bruising is pretty common and that should resolve within a week typically. 1-800-348-2551. Back to the phones and we go to Susan in Albany. Hello, Susan. Susan, hello. 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 Can you hear me? I can hello. now. Yes, hello. Good, good. You can hear me. All right. My question is uh, to the doctor. Um, I have a calcium score of something like 1,500. And uh, first of all, is that uh, something I should be concerned with? And secondly, um, what kind of diagnostic tests am I not uh able to have because of this uh, excessive calcium in my uh, arteries. Hi, Susan. So I'm, you know, I'm assuming, assuming you had a calcium score or a CT, cal- uh, CT of your heart to look for the calcium score, and 1,500 is elevated, so it's high. What it means really in studies um, is that if you have calcium score above 100, your risk of or the lifelong risk of developing a heart attack or needing a stent procedure is higher than patients who have zero calcium, obviously, right? Because you have some plaque buildup in your arteries. Now, in terms of the diagnostic test, there's no contraindication or there's no specific test that you can't have. It all just depends on the symptoms. So if you have chest pain, then it should get evaluated because you have high calcium score. So there's a chance that you might have blockages or the blockages which are severe in the blood vessels. But if you don't have chest pain, this is something which, you know, can be just checked with a stress test and uh, just medications like aspirin and a cholesterol pill to decrease the chance of a heart attack or needing a stent procedure in future. Does that answer your question? Well, well, uh, yes. It, it seems that my score is excessively high. So is is there uh, quite a danger? It It is high, right? So... The danger, it's not an imminent danger. It's, it just means that you need to be more aggressive about, you know, your diet, more aggressive about cholesterol control. If you're diabetic, then make sure your diabetes is under control. Um, I would, you know, recommend having a stress test uh, every year or two years uh, to make sure that uh, any specific part of your heart muscle is not, you know, doesn't isn't getting decreased blood supply, right, which would warrant further investigation. But needs just more aggressive medical management for now if you don't have any chest pain. I see. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. Have a great day. 1-800-348-2551. Mary writes in to voxpop at wamc.org and says, Doctor, can you please discuss coronary vasospasms or vasospasms uh, cause and recommended treatment? First Hi, correct Mary. pronunciation. So coronary vasospasm, Vaso. right? And you correct it. You uh, correctly pronounce it. <laughs> so Great. Uh, vasospasm is a condition where the blood vessels of our heart can constrict. You know, and they, it could be spontaneous or related to some medications or stressful situations. So, um, you know, it's uh, it when it constricts, it will cause decreased blood supply to the heart, and it can cause angina or chest pain. Uh, typically, the medications are vasodilators. So these are medications which would help dilate the blood vessels and uh, get rid of the constrictions, and they can be nitrates or another class of medications called calcium channel blockers. Um, you know, obviously, it also you know we also need to make sure that there's no calcium or plaque buildup in the arteries. 
Um, so a stress test uh, or a CAT scan of the heart would be very helpful. 1-800-348-2551. We are almost out of time. We have two people on the phone. I'm sure we can get to one of them, maybe both. Let's go to one of them. Why am I filling? Anne in Grafton. Hello, Anne. How are you? Hello, Anne. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm fine. My mom is 83 years old and has a kid, and she is on Plavix. They they told her that that would help with it. I don't know. But ever since she got put on it, uh, she is out of breath. Just walking across the room, uh, walking up the three steps into her house, and I'm trying to tell her that that's not normal, but I don't know because I don't know how Plavix works. But I'm wondering if this, if it's normal and if it isn't, is what's the option for her? Hi, Anne. So Plavix would be a very unusual cause of causing shortness of breath. There are some other medications or other blood thinners which can cause uh, shortness of breath. Um, you know, I would recommend making sure that she's not in AFib or her atrial fibrillation is not out of control, you know, and she's not, um, her heart is not beating fast all the time, which can explain shortness of breath. Uh, there are other alternatives, obviously, like, you know, Eliquis or Zeralto, which are more potent blood thinners, but they don't cause shortness of breath. Um, I was wrong. It is Eliquis. Okay. So, yeah, Eliquis usually, Eliquis would be a very rare cause, and uh, there's no, you know, there's no documented side effect like shortness of breath. So I'm wondering, you know, if her heart rate is uncontrolled or her AFib is out of control that needs, you know, more control with heart rate controlling medications, um, and that's probably causing her shortness of breath. Okay, because I was telling her maybe she should go to a pulmonologist because I was thinking maybe it was something with her lungs. Yeah, I would I would say she should follow up with the cardiologist first. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call, Ann. And let's try to fit in our last current call with Ryan in Glens Falls. Hello, Ryan. Hi, how are you? Thank you very much for taking my phone call today. You got it. We just have a couple minutes, so let's go. Okay, I'm 51. I have been for the last two years working with an oncologist, hematologist team regarding blood clots in my right leg, in my groin area, and behind my knee and calf. And I am on a now the low dose twice a day of Eliquis. My question is, should I also be reaching out to a vascular specialist um, my concern is the one in my groin region still. They said the Eliquis is keeping it under control where the blood is flowing fine. But in the last two years, I've had issues where I've had to be scanned twice, and it has been reoccurring. Uh, yeah, uh, Ryan, so great question. So, you know, uh, seeing a, gas- a vascular surgeon or a vascular specialist um, is a great idea, actually, if you have recurrent swelling or recurrent clots on the right leg because... Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Maytherner syndrome. So what that means is a part of your vein on the right side could be compressed um, by an artery. Mm. And, you know, that is typically the cause of uh, blood clots on the right side. So, and if you get rid of that compression with a stent, um, the blood clot shouldn't return back. So I think if you've had blood clots on more than one occasion and these were unprovoked, what that means is if it wasn't caused by any trauma or prolonged immobilization or after surgery, then uh, going to a vascular surgeon is a good idea. That is, I just learned something. So thank you. I appreciate your time in helping me. I'm going to pursue this. Of course. Good luck, Ryan. Thank you for calling.
Thank you. Of course. Appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate you, too. I almost gave the phone number again, but we're out of time. No more phone number for today. You can support WAMC by giving to the lockbox. You can visit our website, WAMC.org, or you can call 800-323-9262 and donate. Thank you, Dr. Akash Garg of Albany Associates in Cardiology for joining us today. You were great. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Yeah, you'll come back. I will come back. Marvelous. And if Ray's here, I'll tell him to be nice to you. Um, (laughs) He will be. Once again, it's wamc.org to give to the lockbox. Support for Medical Monday comes from Adelphi University's Hudson Valley Center, offering a Master of Social Work with a variety of scholarships and funding options. Adelphi.edu slash Hudson Valley MSW. Thank you to our engineer, Zach Malloy. Thanks to Amber Sickles and Jordan Yoxall for answering the phones. I'm Sarah LaDuke in for Ray Graff. I don't know at the Mo if I will be with you tomorrow or if Ray will be back. We do hope he's feeling better, of course. But we also hope that if he's home and germy, he does not bring that in to us. Tomorrow on Vox Pop, it's Cars with Gordon Fricky. That's tomorrow at 2. You can stay tuned now for the best of our knowledge.